Hello, and welcome to Awesome Leaders, Lessons for Food Business Success, a podcast aimed at supporting the development and growth of women-owned food and beverage processing businesses in the Canadian prairies. Our guests include industry experts, as well as food and beverage entrepreneurs to provide knowledge, real-world examples, and inspiration. My name is Carly, and on behalf of the Awesome Program, I'll be your host today. In today's episode, we'll be chatting about entering the grocery retail market from the entrepreneur's perspective. During our previous episode, Bailey and Matt chatted about this topic from the perspective on the grocery retailer side. In this episode, we're going to hear about the flip side of that. Our guest today is Amy Caban. She will be shedding some light on what to expect when you start your retail journey. Amy is the founder and owner of Parkerview Brews Kombucha, a Canadian beverage company founded in 2017 whose mission is to create a unique, great-tasting, good-for-you beverage made with the best local and organic ingredients. Parkerview Kombucha can currently be found in over 120 locations across Saskatchewan, and they plan to expand throughout Western Canada. Welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Carly. Of course, we're super excited. I have to say, I'm a huge fan of your products, so I'm really excited to have this chat with you today. Uh, Cherry Cola is my number one flavor of Parkerview Brews. It's a popular one, for sure. Yeah, it's so good. Um, So to kick off our chat, could you briefly tell us about when and why you started your business? Yeah, um, so in Rewind Back to 2017, which seems like a long time ago, but uh, 2017 is kind of when we um, we started playing around with kombucha. So when I say we, it's it's me and my uh, my husband Tyler. So in 2017, we started brewing kombucha at home, uh, sort of experimenting with different ingredients and flavors, the brewing process, different methods of brewing kombucha. Um, We were already big fans of kombucha, of just buying it from the grocery store at the time. Uh, But we we wanted to make our own. So it was a bit of trial and error at the beginning. I don't know if you've ever brewed kombucha before at home. Um, I have not. It seems like a big job. So I'll just keep buying yours. And (laughs) it's it's trial and error. Um, Mm -hmm. It's it's understanding. You know, working with a live culture, um, understanding you know, what, what are we doing here with this, this living culture and, and how do we sort of control it to, to make delicious kombucha? So that was back in 2017. And, um, I guess for people who don't know what kombucha is, it's, it's a sparkling fermented tea. So you start with a tea base. It's usually green tea or black tea, maybe white tea. And, uh, you brew it up, you add sugar, and then you add a living culture to it. And then that's when all the interesting science-y stuff happens, probiotics. It becomes fermented, it's bubbly, it's tasty, and then you flavor it. So flavoring is the last part. But um, yeah, so back in 2017, we were making it at home, we were buying it. And in terms of uh, the why, I think, you know, we loved buying kombucha, Um, but we also thought, well, okay, let's make our own. And you know, what would the ideal kombucha taste like to us? Um, you know, it would be something that hits all the right notes. It's got maybe some local ingredients like Saskatoon berry, for example, or sour cherries from Saskatchewan. 
Um, it wasn't too vinegary. So a lot of people associate maybe kombucha with that sort of a vinegary, very sour taste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for us, it was like, okay, well, how can we make kombucha that's less less acidic, less vinegary? Um, also not too sweet. You can go really overboard with the sugar if you're trying to cancel out, you know, this, the vinegary taste. So how do we find that perfect balance of, you know, kind of sour, kind of sweet, sort of... Um, flavorful, bubbly, and not too funky or too strange. So that was kind of, you know, the goal back then. And so kind of organically from that, from making it, coming up with some really cool flavors, um, perfecting those blends, and then turning into a business, you know, combining our skills. So Tyler's skills are really in the areas of fermentation, brewing, uh, product development, and then mine sort of in the, the marketing, the branding, the business aspect. Um, so yeah, it was kind of, hap- I, you know, I was thinking about it before this, this this episode with you and it seems like so long ago. So I had to rewind and say like, you know, how did this all come about? But it, I felt like mm-hmm. it happened really organically of sort of being curious, trying to make something ourselves that we we really felt we could do and then figuring that yeah this tastes really good let's let's try this let's package this and and see where it takes us I love that yeah you definitely hit the nail on the head so yeah (laughs) that's perfect just to kind of build off of that where did you first start selling and how would you say you've kind of grown since then yeah so we first started selling um that summer at the the farmer's market downtown in Saskatoon I think it was just on the weekends that we were there um yeah, we were out there putting up a tent sometimes at 7 a.m. or when, you know, mm-hmm. in spring. So it's still really cold. And, we, you know, we went out to the farmer's market um, with our coolers, sort of those, you know, pull-along coolers full of ice. We had fly, five flavors of kombucha at the time. Yeah, five. Um, and a one-year-old that we would bring with us sometimes. <laughs> so... It was a lot of fun. She'd be sitting in the mm-hmm. stroller and we'd be setting up this tent and the wind is blowing and we're probably screaming at each other thinking, what are we doing? But that's where we started. And, you know, thinking back on that, we weren't really sure if people would be sort of responsive to it. Kombucha mm-hmm. at the time, I think 2017, it had just started to become more, I'll call it mainstream in Saskatchewan. You started to see it more often. Um you, prime, you, you saw the main two brands was GT's and Rise Kombucha, which, you know, GT's is out of um, the States, Rise Kombucha out of Montreal, both like really amazing kombucha brands, really established, really big. Um, so when we were out there at the farmer's market, we didn't know if people would know what kombucha was or, or if they would be interested, but we were out there sampling and selling product and it was selling so well that, you know, every weekend we'd be coming back, we'd be spending the week uh, brewing more, bottling more. And it was just the two of us brewing and bottling, brewing and bottling um, in like a, a commercial kitchen in Sutherland. Um, and then since then, we've, we've moved into our own manufacturing facility in Saskatoon, in the Woodlawn area. Um, we still have the original five flavors plus three more. We also have um, kombucha on tap uh, in, in different restaurants, and we have fill stations across um, between Regina and Saskatoon. And in terms of the, 
you know, the bottles that you see primarily, um, that's in about 120, 120 retail locations in Saskatchewan. So it really took off from, from those farmer's market days. Yeah, that's amazing. Starting off the farmer's market and now you have your own facility, you're in all these grocery stores. Like, that's incredible. That's a really, a lot of growth there. How did you decide which grocery stores you wanted to target when you wanted to start getting into retail? Well, I think it was a, it was a mix of things. Most, most of us just know groceries as, you know, you go in, you buy your stuff and you leave. Um, we, both Tyler and I, we didn't have like a grocery or distribution background. You know, we didn't know the ins and outs of how grocery works. So when we, when we were, you know, producing enough to say, okay, like we have enough product now that we could, we could supply a grocery store and we could keep up with the orders, um, yeah, it was a mix of, okay, where do we buy kombucha now? Where are we seeing kombucha on the shelf? Um, and like I said, it was it was just starting to become mainstream in Saskatchewan where you're starting to see different brands. And, you know, I'll, I'll use Sobeys as an example. Like, they had kombucha in, in one of their locations. Um, they had it in the natural food cooler, which is very, you know, specific section, natural food. Mm-hmm. So it might have, like... Um, non-dairy cheese and soy milk and and kimchi so we we saw it there primarily but then we started seeing kombucha come out of that cooler and into sort of the grab-and-go coolers right across from the checkout you know and so that's like a good sign of of okay kombucha's you know kind of mainstream it's not in this sort of fringe area of the grocery store anymore so we started to look at okay where where's kombucha being sold start to make a list these are the these are the grocery stores we want to go after um, you know, where do we aspire to be? Where do we, where do we want to see our bottle beside, you know, this other beverage? We also took the time, I think this was really important too, of understanding where our, our target market was shopping. So our target market is women age, you know, 24 to 40, around that range there. And so where, where is she shopping? Where is she picking up groceries? Where is she, you know, picking up her snacks, those types of things. Um, we also learned too at the time, you know, about what we know today is like uh, the local program in a grocery store. So, you know, your, your big chain grocery stores, they'll have a local program where they'll carry um, a local product, get, you know, provide you an opportunity um, in the cooler, on the shelf, and so we looked at who had a local program and you really had to, to dig deep, you know, who had a local program, who do I contact in order to get into that local program? What is the process? What are the regulations? What's the paperwork, the certificates, inspections, all of those things that uh, they require in terms of food safety. So it was really a mix of things of, of groceries, of which grocery to target. Uh, but the first um, main sort of big chain grocery we were in Uh, that we were accepted in was Sobeys so they were our first our number one and yeah their local program is amazing but from then we've we've grown from Sobeys um Sobeys Safeway IGA to to co-op um save on so it's uh it's exciting but yeah um I think it's a mix for for what we chose to target based on what we saw um where we wanted uh, 
people to find us and where our target market was shopping. So that's great. Yeah. I definitely see you everywhere I shop and I would probably consider myself (laughs) in your target market. So right on (laughs) that worked perfectly. Um, you did mention that some of the grocery retailers have a local program. If they didn't have something like that, how would you go about approaching those grocery stores and finding the right connections? Yeah. So I think, um, if a, if a retailer didn't have a local program, let's say like a, a big grocer, I wouldn't necessarily treat it any different in terms of, you know, talking to the right person. It's for, for how we, we've done it. It's you literally, you go in and you, uh, you ask for the, the store manager or the manager of produce or who's in charge of the buying for the produce department because our specific product is categorized under produce, which I had to learn. I didn't know uh, the ins and outs of the sections of the inner workings of a grocery store, right? Um, But it's like all these little mini departments and everyone is super busy in their department getting food out and making sure the shelves are stocked. But I think if you didn't have a local program and you still want to approach, it would be very similar. You know, you go in with your sell sheet, with your samples, your information. And because we're only in Saskatchewan, and we're in under the local program sort of category for grocery. Um, I haven't had to work with non-local program groups, but if I were to go into, let's say, Alberta, I wouldn't be categorized under the local program because I'm not local. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a different ball game in terms of, okay, this is my product. I'm not part of, I, I, you know, I'm not eligible to be under your local program, but this is my product. It's amazing. This is the data. This is the velocity. And then I think it's a conversation of, um, okay, well, we have room on our shelf, but you have to sort of pay to play is my understanding. So you have to pay a certain fee to be on our shelf. Um, Whereas here in Saskatchewan, under the local program, uh, we're not required to pay a fee to be in that cooler or to take up one shelf or two shelves. Um, So that would be the main difference. And I think if if you are approaching um, a store that where you, you can't be in the local program, it's really, it's really about having that, that strong data to tell the store, hey, I have this product, this is its velocity, this is how much we've sold at these similar grocery stores. And I think that gives the buyer um, you know, some reassurance that they're um, making room for your, for your product on the shelf. Because grocery stores are, you know, are full of thousands of brands so why why should they give you know this product some some shelf space so I guess that would be um my first step but like I said I haven't gone out of province out of our borders yet Mm -hmm. but I think that's that's probably what I would do and and sort of be prepared to to understand the numbers of of what it takes to have your product um listed and what the fees would be in that grocery store yeah, that totally makes sense. That's great. Yeah, I feel like you're going to get like real deep now into the grocery world and <laughs> understand, you know, all the inner workings. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of on that same train of thought. So what would you say are the most challenging parts of even entering and managing that ongoing retail relationship? I think for us, for, for entering, especially with kombucha, it was a lot of education. First of all, kombucha is not a word I think people typically are familiar with. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. 
so, you know, when, when we were first going in and, and making our pitch, it was me and Tyler. It was just like us back and forth. We'd be in the car and saying, okay, who's going to go in this time? Who's going to do it this time? Sort of hyping each other up <laughs> just to enter a grocery store and talk to, talk to a potential buyer. But, you know, a lot of it in terms of a challenge for us, specifically with kombucha, was educating the person in front of you about what is kombucha, first of all. What is kombucha? Why, why is it a great product? Why should you carry it in your store? You know, really showing them the value of what kombucha is. And again, using data to help, to help you in that pitch, right? So for example, we were in a Safeway. Yeah, we were in a Safeway. And before we even got into grocery, I should say, we were in so many um, local retailers, non-grocery. So that would be, you know, your specialty stores, your restaurants, your cafes, um, those types of places. So we had quite a bit of data already to, to sort of go off of. So when we were making our pitch into grocery, it was it was nice to have that data and say, well, you know, this is how many bottles we sell in a month. And this is the, our number one selling flavor. And so having that data was great to just get our foot in the door. Um, but yeah, it, definitely educating the buyer and sort of explain to them what kombucha is. And sometimes you could even see, this is, you know, pre-pandemic, we weren't wearing masks, but you could see sort of the wheels turning in the buyer's eyes like okay kombucha okay where would this even go in the grocery store and you know does it go in dairy does it go by the grab and go food does it go across the checkout does it go with produce so you could see sort of them thinking okay where would this go if I brought it in um so it was about definitely that was a challenge for us and especially when you're you have only a couple minutes because the, you know, the produce manager is very busy and you're not making an appointment. You're sort of walking in and just asking for them at customer service and they come, you know, that's what we were instructed to do by, um, our local development manager for Sobeys. And, um, <laughs> you know, I remember one buyer, he was very nice. He was so nice. And he said, well, you know, kombucha, I don't know about that. I'm I'm more of a Pepsi drinker myself and I couldn't help but laugh a little uh, because, okay, great. Pepsi's great. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, he's, he's also not our target market. Mm -hmm. So also understanding, okay, this is the buyer, but also explain to the buyer who the target market is. And more often than not, like when grocery, we were talking to, to men, very rarely to women who were making mm -hmm. um, the buying decision. So a lot of it was definitely knowing what to say, um, for them to say yes. And I don't think anyone ever said no. Not when I was thinking about that, um, no one ever said no. They would take the samples, they would take the sell sheet, and some of them might place an order right away. They would say, okay, I'll take four of this, four of this, four of this. Um, do you have the boxes in the back? And sometimes we would, and sometimes we, we wouldn't have them with us, and we'd have to arrange delivery. Um, and then some would say, okay, well, let me think on it, and I'll get back to you. And either, you know, I would have to follow up or they would send an email. So, I mean, that sell sheet is, is so important. And then in terms of managing, 
once we got into those those major grocery stores, um, for us, again, we have this product that's raw, requires refrigeration, and has a, you know, an expiry. So <laughs> sometimes I think, what you know, why didn't we make chips or something? <laughs> it could sit there forever. But mm-hmm. for us, it was really making sure um, the staff understood, okay, you know, when you're restocking, you have to put the new stuff at the back and the older mm-hmm. stuff goes to the front. Otherwise, everything just gets pushed back and and obviously we don't want that to happen. So, you know, really going in and making sure that that, that was happening. Um, even myself, if I'm shopping in any grocery store and I'll, I'll go to where we are and I'll turn all the bottles to make sure they're all facing forward. I'll check the expiry that it's moving correctly. Um, so managing that was important. But also, at, at one point, we, we weren't able to keep up with all the accounts anymore. It was difficult to keep up with 120 accounts and, you know, who is stocked up, who isn't um, going in to make sure the product was moving and, you know, talking with the buyer, continuing that relationship, growing that relationship, getting feedback. So um, that's definitely part of a challenge is, is managing all those accounts and at that point, that's when we started to work with, to have a sales team to help us with that because it's, it's impossible to, you know, try to keep up with that many accounts. 20 accounts, it's doable, right? Especially in Saskatoon, I can just hop in the car. But once you're in other cities, you know, Regina, Saskatoon, um, North Balford, PA, Moose Jaw, it, it starts to, you know, take up a lot of, of your time. So uh, that, that's been something that's really helpful to us is, is having a sales team to look after that and to continue to, to manage, you know, those relationships with the buyers. Yeah, that totally makes sense. That's great. Mm -hmm. So Amy, you guys did a branding change a few years ago. Did you notice any changes to that retailer relationship or even the end consumer relationship? Uh, I would say no, in a sense that I think the branding, the branding definitely gave us some more like refinement and um, better reflected the story we were trying to tell and the quality of our product. I think changes, we were on like, and we still are on this upward trajectory. So I, I can't say, trajectory, sorry, this upward trajectory. And I can't say that the branding necessarily increased sales because um, I think the existing branding was really well received. Um, but I think, you know, at the time, we wanted branding and sort of the look of Parker View Brews to be more more refined and to better tell our story and to give ourselves a unique look. Um, so previous to that, I had done all the branding. And, you know, I like to think it was really nice. <laughs> it took us It took us places. Um, but you know, I'm not, I'm not a designer and the artwork was, I think, stock photography and, and, um, it was like some fruit and, you know, just some fonts that I liked that I found online. Um, so I think when we decide that we want to give it a, a more fresh look, that was at a point where we started to have a lot more accounts and we started to see, you know, a lot of a lot of kombucha, you know, getting, getting sold and, and moved. So 
we just wanted to tighten that up and re refine the look of of our branding and and the agency we worked with was was wonderful like we we were able to better describe our story and our process and um at the end of the day you know we have this this look that i think is mm, like fun and uplifting and colorful and sort of like reflects the brand and the product as well and um yeah we also wanted to have sort of a look that's really mainstream that's something that's always been um important to us like you know i think kombucha sometimes people think you have to prescribe to a certain lifestyle to drink kombucha that was you know maybe when kombucha first came out like who drinks kombucha oh people who practice yoga and people who are vegan or you know these really drawn out rigid lines and that wasn't really what what we were about we were just about this awesome product that has great health benefits it's tasty it's fun um there's no rules to the flavors you can create and you know it's all about trying new things um so that's what we wanted the branding to reflect and i think um for us it, it makes our our bottle stand out from the rest and and it, yeah it's been well received by by the consumer as well so it, yeah i think that it was a good move um, so what advice would you have for new businesses approaching retailers or to businesses who are in those early stages of working with retail partners? I think first off, like, you know, you, let's say you have your product and it's, it's something you've been working on for a long time. It's sort of your baby. It's, it's really personal, right? And, you know, to you, you, you understand the ins and outs of it. You understand the value of it you know why it's amazing. The part where it gets tricky is also then, you know, in getting the buyer to understand why it's also amazing too. Um, and then sort of having that pitch that says, yeah, this is my product. This is why it's awesome. Um, it sells. I think something that we learned too is the buyer isn't necessarily going to care about our story they're not necessarily going to care about you know how it came to be in my kitchen and the how we put these flavors together uh the buyer really cares if it's going to sell right because they're giving you an opportunity on their shelf too um and you know shelf space is is limited they're giving you this opportunity and so they want to know is this going to sell who's going to buy it how quickly is it going to sell um so i think for if you're approaching retailers you really have to have a solid sell sheet and so that you know that sell sheet is is that piece of paper keep it down to one piece of paper um that has pictures of your product really nice pictures of your product and also identifies all the details um maybe a little bit about your story i think we you know, the first sell sheet we came up with, I think it's been edited, you know, four or five times because after the first couple pitches, you know, you start to see the, the first three questions they're asking, right? Um, you know, what's the shelf life? What's the, what's the wholesale price? What's your suggested retail price? And how many units are there 
per case. So those are like those really important things. And I think when in the first cell sheet I made, those were like tiny little print on the on the cell sheet. So it was so important to make that bigger. Also to make my contact information bigger. It was somewhere on the bottom, you know, and so having that cell sheet look really sharp and have all that important information, so important samples also, especially for a product like ours where the person might have never had kombucha before, or even worse, if they've had kombucha, not ours, and didn't like it, right? So mm-hmm. we, we, I sort of put put into three categories, people who've never had kombucha, people who've had kombucha and didn't like it, and people who've, who love kombucha and want to drink more kombucha and can't get enough of kombucha. So samples are so important for us because um, it just you know gives the buyer a chance to share that with their team to see what flavors they like, because we have five different flavors, or seven now, eight. Um, I think like I mentioned earlier, having that data to, to help you in your pitch, you know, so if I was approaching you and you were, you were the buyer in, in Save On Foods, I could say, well, you know, we're already in this many Sobe stores and this is the number of bottles we sell in this quarter or this month even, you know, whichever numbers are really going to shine and, and look great to the buyer. And you should know, you know, what flavors sell the best. Uh, but using that data in your pitch, I think is awesome because it's, it's kind of like that testimonial or that reassurance or that five-star rating for the buyer then to sort of make a decision um, versus, you know, not having any data and saying, oh, yeah, it's a great product. I love making it. I, I put all my heart and soul and blood and sweat and tears into it. Um, I also think, like, you know, when you're in these, in the early days with retail partners, I think it's really good to ask questions too. You know, what's working? Um, who's been buying it? Uh, do you have any feedback? What's, you know, what's the, um, the most popular flavor you're hearing? Um, we also provide, you know, kombucha even to, to staff. Like if, you know, when we deliver, there's receiving staff at the back and you start to get to know them because you see them weekly or every other week. Um, but, you know, providing them with kombucha. And so then they're talking about it and they're enjoying it. Um, I sort of feel like everyone who works in grocery is, is part of your company and part of your team because once you leave that product with them, it's in their hands to get it out there, right? It's, it's in their hands to get it out there in terms of getting it on the shelf, you know, making sure it's stocked. But uh, it's, I think it's important to know that it's not their job to sell it. And that's something I think that we learned, you know, at the beginning that the store carries your product, but it's your, it's, at the end of the day, it's your job to sell it. It's your job to make sure it's moving off of that shelf. They'll keep the shelf stocked. They'll make it look good. They'll keep it clean. Uh, but you have to sell it. You have to put in, you know, the marketing and the sales side um, to make sure it's selling. Um, so I think that's really important. But overall, I think it's about building that relationship, answering the emails, um, answering the phone if they need something or if someone has a question, um, troubleshooting. Yeah, I think... It's, it's clearly, it's really about that relationship building uh, with the store. And, you know, sometimes the buyer moves stores, right? So if, if, a, if that manager goes to a different store and now you have a new manager, then you're, sometimes you're starting over and you're rebuilding a relationship. Um, and, and you do see that. I think, you know, there's one store 
they recently had a turnover. And so we, we noticed that the sales dropped off. The orders weren't coming in as much um, as they used to. And so, you know, it's about rebuilding that relationship with the new buyer and, and getting back onto that same velocity or that same trajectory of sales. And so it's really about people, people relationships, I think, um, with retailers. That's great advice. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so just to kind of end out our conversation today, I have two fun questions I want to throw at you. So what is a food product or recipe made at home that you've been loving lately? Actually, okay. So I think in terms of a food product, there is, uh, and I think Pueblo chili might be in the awesome accelerator for some, yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So she has one called black garlic Mm -hmm. and it is so good. I think the first time, um, I tried, I put too much in and it was, you know, I was on fire, but then Mm -hmm. I kind of like, okay, this is hot. So just a couple drops is good for me. But anytime I want to add, you know, add a little bit of spice or kick something up a notch, it's really good for that. Um, it's always, it's always seems to be on the table at supper time. Um, and she has so many other flavors too, that Mm -hmm. I want to try that are probably milder than this one. So, um, (laughs) that's awesome. So that's one food product that I really like. Um, and I think something that I probably have a lot of is um, like a matcha tea latte. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I I have it every day. And I don't drink a lot of coffee, but tea is definitely mm-hmm. uh, something in our household. We have a lot of tea. And yeah, that's just, it's really nice to have. And um, I think over this pandemic, I've like perfected the the matcha to milk ratio so it's it's nice to have it's very relaxing and that's definitely something that's part of my day I love that I'm a fan of matcha too so I'm totally on the same page as you oh it's so good and the stuff I use is from it's from Japan you can Mm -hmm. buy you can buy it at um one of the Asian markets here I can't remember the one it's the blue one (laughs) I think it's great (laughs) great Asian market on 8th Street. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's just this yeah. little packet of green powdered um, matcha. And it's so good. It's like the color is beautiful. It's not overly, you know, sometimes matcha can be a little fishy tasting or kind of have this yeah, different yeah. flavor. And this one is so good. It's so pure. I just, yeah. So if you're ever over there, you just have to pop in and it's really good. I love that. I'll keep that in mind. So my last question is, what is a work or life resource that you find helpful? So any kind of like little life hack you maybe have to share? I have a lot. Um, I think, okay, some off the top of my head. I, so I, I am a, a rule follower um, through and through. So I have, I have an Apple Watch that I got around Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And I use it mostly to close. I don't know if you have an Apple Watch. Do you have one? No. It's where Okay, well, it's like um, there's a thing on there where it has these like exercise rings, these mm-hmm. rings that you have to close. And for me, that's like a, a personal everyday challenge that I find awesome. So it's like these three rings on your watch that you have to close. One's for standing, one's for moving your body, and one's for exercising. And I find um, that's really helpful for me. It has been very helpful for me actually because, you know, when you're on your computer and you're just – into something you're just in Mm -hmm. the groove you could be there for hours and not stand up but you know the watch will vibrate on your wrist and 
remind you, hey, you know, you've been sitting a while, time to stand up, right? Or just to move your body. Um, I just love closing those rings and I know it might sound crazy, but it's something I love. <laughs> um, I think another thing that's worked really, really well um, is sort of scheduling your tasks. Mm-hmm. So before I started doing that, I would just write, I would have a to-do list and it would be a really long to-do list, right? Just bullet points, bullet points, bullet points. And it would be great to cross off things on that to-do list when you got them done. But if in one day you have 12 things on your to-do list, you're probably not going to get them done. And more often than not, I'd probably do the easiest or the most fun things on that to-do list versus the things that had the biggest impact or, you know, the greatest priority. Mm -hmm. So what I did, I stopped doing that. I stopped doing that. And I started just scheduling uh, my time. So, and thinking about, okay, this task will take me 15 minutes. This other task is going to take me two hours. So I started to schedule my time the best I could. And I usually do this on a Sunday. Um, And we have two kids. One is in school part-time and the other is not school age. So a lot of it is juggling around their schedules. (laughs) So it doesn't always work. But scheduling my time in that task and then sort of treating that task as an appointment and getting it done in that time frame has done wonders. Um, and something else I also started doing uh, is, you know, let's say you have like a really big project or a task and it's sort of been sitting on your desk for a long time. You've been procrastinating, you've been putting it off because it seems so big and huge and you don't even know where to start. Um, the advice I was given was to sort of break down that task and break it down into as many tiny steps as possible if you need and then get through those mini tasks to complete the big project. And I found that that does work really, really well. Um, And I think the last, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately too. So Mm -hmm. one of the things I took away um, recently was um, the idea, the concept of priority priorities Mm -hmm. and I think this was um it's from James Clear have you read the book Atomic Habits yes I have I love that book yeah it's it's really good I've 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 read it and then I've also I think listened to the audio version several times but he talked about priorities and he said when you know the the concept of priority when it first you know came into our vocabulary it was singular. It was priority. Priority. It was one thing. Like, what is the most important thing? And somehow, as humans, we've turned it into priorities, into this plural, right, of all these things that are a priority. And, yeah, he's, that's exactly it. And he, and he said, you know, once it becomes, like, you know, plural, then it's not really priorities anymore. It's, it's a to-do list, right? Mm-hmm. So I always kind of go back to that and think, yeah, like, okay, so what is actual priority um, what is that one thing today that I want to get done? And, you know, what's going to have, in, in choosing that priority, what's going to have the biggest impact, right? What's going to what's gonna get me to where I want, to, to the future that I want or the goal that I'm trying to hit? Um, so I think, yeah, those are like little, little tidbits, I guess, that are helping me um, get through the day and, and, and be more efficient and like in terms of wellness and anxiety. I think those are all important little things that I think that are easy, virtually easy to do and to, to sort of implement into your day. 
Yeah, I love that. Those are very yeah. useful, insightful pieces. There. Okay, Thank you. well, I, I hope that you do them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just to wrap up today, where can people find you if they want to connect? Yeah, so if people want to connect with me, uh, they can by email, definitely, at hello at parkerviewbrews.com. And you can find that email on on our website. Um, it's primarily me that's that's looking after that and, and answering it. And if it's not, it'll get forwarded to me. But I also have um, our business Instagram, Parker View Brews Kombucha. They can always send a message there. And I also have you know, a personal Instagram too, Amy Caban. Um, yeah, but if people have questions or... I love when people have questions or if they have an idea or they want to bounce something off or they need advice on something. Um, if I can help, I'm always glad to. Amazing. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it was nice to chat with you. The Awesome Program is an initiative of the Saskatchewan Food Centre and is funded by Prairie's Economic Development Canada through the Women Entrepreneurship Strategy Ecosystem Fund. We are here to support women-owned food businesses through education, advising, and industry connections. Although we are based in Saskatoon, we serve members in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta. For more information, visit the show notes or head to our website at beawesome.ca.